0: This is the Social Leader Podcast, inspired by entrepreneurs, founders, faith leaders, innovators, volunteers, and visionaries from every walk of life. They are the social venturers among us, those who crave the entrepreneurial adventure of moving beyond charity to integrate and then operationalize their social priorities. Social leaders are the true leaders among us who forge sustainable solutions to solve humanity's most tangled problems. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Father Justin Matthews. This is episode number 25. And hey, real quickly before we begin, I wanna let you know that this podcast is presented by Reconciliation Services, a nonprofit social venture here in Kansas City Working to cultivate a community seeking racial and economic reconciliation to reveal the strength of all. And if you are inspired by today's show and you want to learn how to lead with greater creativity, authenticity, and social impact, then I am super excited to tell you that you've got to check out our new online course the social leader essentials. And when you enroll in this course, you're going to get access to two and a half hours of cutting edge leadership training. That's going to help you adopt a social entrepreneurial mindset, root out bias within yourself and in your teams and embrace a trauma informed strength based approach and leadership style. All of this, the coolest part is, all of this and all of the proceeds from this course are actually used to fuel the social and trauma therapy programs at Reconciliation Services. So go to thesocialleader.org today and enroll in this amazing course. So, I am excited today on this episode to introduce you to a new friend of mine. His name is Mike Meyer. And I got to tell you, I've known about Mike, but only because I knew about Meyer Music here in Kansas City. And if you are anywhere around the region, you know that there are only a few incredible music stores and instrument stores left in the world. You know, things have just. Radically changed since I was a kid. And I used to go down to the tune shop in, in Kansas in Prairie Village. And, you know, that's gone now, along with so many other places. Well, you're going to get to meet the family, one of the owners of Meyer Music, and you're going to get to hear about the incredible things that he's doing, not only in that music shop but also through this incredible band, a band that I wish I could have been a part of. It's called the Band of Angels. So, hey, welcome, Mike, to the Social Leader Podcast.
1: Hey, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on. And as we begin, I love to ask people, just let us know a little bit about your leadership journey and your life story. Give us a glimpse about who you are and how you became the entrepreneur and and now the social leader that you are today.
1: Oh, well... Yeah, I kind of have an interesting story in that I probably I probably wasn't the leader that most people would probably picture at a, at a young age. Uh, um, you know, I was a kid with a lot of energy and, and probably undiagnosed ADD at that time and bounced around a lot. But but um, I always cared and and cared about people. And then when I got into college and I started to you know kind of find myself, um, got in a fraternity in college. And I uh, got around a lot of other people who were uh, trying to, you know, find their way. And one of the components that I always loved about the fraternity was the, the philanthropic piece of it. You know, I'd always been raised with that. You know, my dad was a lifelong Rotarian, which is a worldwide club whose sole purpose is to build community and, and to um, make the communities that you live in better doing philanthropic work as business leaders. So I had really watched my dad do that and my mom do that through the Chamber of Commerce. and. And women's groups coming up. But uh, it wasn't really until I got to college. And then I started to get around other people uh, that kind of had that same mindset. Um, You know, when you think fraternity, that isn't typically what you think, but that's a big component of being in one is doing good for others. And um, so that's really kind of where I started to find my voice. Um, And then, you know, got out of college and, and, had a little bit of failure in the job world right out of the gate and um, realized... Who doesn't
0: that, among us? I think we all fail at least one time at the very outset of college in our career. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I failed hard. I got you know, laid off twice in eight months uh, right out of college with a, with a great uh, degree and job. And, and then I, I found my way back home to the family music store. And I remember my mom saying, hey, would you like to come work here until you find something else? And I said, oh, sure. Well, the last place I thought I would really ever want to work was in a music store because I grew up in it. It was around my whole life. The school bus dropped us off in the parking lot at the store, and, and I was there every day. But, um, you know, I remember that first day that I was there, this woman called trying to find a clarinet for her daughter and had some questions, and I knew all the answers. And, and, and I, I loved it. And I was like, I'm, I'm helping this lady find a clarinet. Something so simple was really a turning point. And it didn't take very long, you know, within a couple of weeks, I was like, you know what, I really like what I'm doing. And, and so I talked to mom and dad about staying in it. And then they, unbeknownst to me, kind of had a plan to grow um, and grow beyond one small little music store in Blue Springs. And so now we have three in Kansas City um, there are five Myers and a sixth that just joined, uh, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, myself, and now my son, John. And, uh, so we went from one little store in Blue Springs, Missouri to three stores. We cover a hundred mile radius around this Kansas city area and work with about 60 school districts. And, and so it's been a really fun journey watching this thing grow, um, you know, and, and kind of finding my voice and my way throughout it to, to the way I could lead
0: you know when you think about family-owned businesses one of the things that always comes up i don't care you know what family business sector you're in there's always that challenge between the founder and then the family member that comes after and then they say that basically by the third generation a lot of family businesses either sell or or struggle and i wonder whether or not not just in your personal journey um into the music business and into the family business. I wonder whether or not you could share a little bit about the entrepreneurial story and whether or not you all as a family have or or you think you might face some of those struggles like family businesses often do.
1: Yeah, well, you know, my parents are, are I think, the entrepreneurial story. They were both uh, public school teachers in Kansas City, Missouri school districts. And um, they were living in the attic of a guy uh in blue springs, newly married, uh, with two kids and trying to find their way. And they wanted to do something to earn extra money while the, they were during the summer while they weren't teaching. And uh so they thought, well, we can either open a Dairy Queen or a music store. Thank goodness I think it was the, the music store. But the next big challenge was getting a loan. No one would give them one. So we Okay, but had- wait, wait, wait uh, we
0: gotta pause there. What what when you're thinking about choices of opening in a business and you're you're a school teacher I'm not sure that everyone would go. Gosh, it's either Dairy Queen or music store. What? what, Why was that the dichotomy? Why why was that the choice? Have they ever told you that story?
1: That I don't know, but I'm going to call my dad and ask him after we're done with this. But you know, so
0: but they, you've got to figure that out because that would be that would kind of be amazing. And then to think about whether or not you would have been raised like near the dairy cream, you know, ice cream machine versus the instruments and the music sheet music. That's kind of an interesting life trajectory moment there.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah. So, you know, that was the choice. And my mom has a double major in music. My dad has a degree in history and accounting, and It just made sense to to kind of do the music side of it. So they borrowed $6,000 from this guy and, and um, no bank would give them a loan and then started off on their entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, we're now 55 years into this journey and um, there have been some major struggles and some major things to overcome, you know, earth shattering things like this little thing called the internet that that changed everything for business. And so, so we've had to adapt and change and continue to try and and find our way and, and be okay with pivoting. That's one thing I would give my parents a great credit with is that, When my brother and my sister and I came in and we did start to bring different ideas, we brought a lot of technology to the company and we brought a lot of scale capacity to the company and um, they didn't like it necessarily, but they said, okay, we're going to let these kids try. And if that means they fall on their face, that means they fall on their face. And so now that we start to enter the third generation, um, my son is actually working with me and one of his biggest fears coming in believe it or not was and i thought this was very astute for a 23 year old to say he's 25 now but he's been with us for about a year and a half but but he said you know dad i'm i'm worried because i've heard that first generation starts it second generation builds it third generation kills it That's and right. and he goes i, I don't want to do that you know and i said john it, honestly if i thought that there was any you know thought of that i probably would not have encouraged or been as excited about him to come but but he was very much like me he grew up there some of the best employees that we have across our entire company come from family-owned businesses because they don't work for the next break they don't work till the end of the shift they work until the job is done which is what as family business owners should do and that's what you do as a leader in your your faith community you know that clock Never stops that phone, never stops ringing. It doesn't matter what time of night, and um, you know, you've got to work hard. So, so yeah, I mean, that's
0: why they call it the hustle, that's for sure. I wonder whether or not your son at 25 is thinking about new technology or new practices or something that he wants to bring. I know that in my 40s now, I feel like my dad a lot. You know, I can remember being a little kid and and my dad saying something like, how do I set the time on the dadgum VCR, Justin, you know, and now I turn around and I pick up my phone and I'll say to my oldest, Eli, I have no idea how to log on to this or find, can you, can you help me out? And I think it's funny how we, you know, repeat our parents, you know, um, their tropes. What is your son doing now? I mean, Is he challenging you or challenging his grandparents to grow the business in ways that might be uncomfortable to you?
1: Yeah, he actually is, believe it or not. He's had three big technology things already in a year and a half that he's brought that have made a substantive change to our business. Um, you know, uh, one was uh, in, in setting all of our trucks up with GPS so we could better serve our customers and know where our, our route guys are at any given time. Um, if if we get a call from the school and we can look and see where those guys are, I said, well, this guy's right. He's seven streets over from you. We'll just have him swing by there and pick it up We're providing better service. The second was he's having to deal with something that none of us have ever had to deal with. My parents included, which is a pandemic. We went from doing 2000 music lessons a week in our stores to zero. And um, when it first started, he came to me right out of the gate. and He said, let's do them virtually. And I said, I don't know what I don't know what we can do that, John. How are we going to do that? How are we going to collect? He goes, I think we can do it. And and so he was able to during that pandemic maintain fifty percent of those students virtually. So a thousand kids a week taking lessons. Now he didn't do it all, but he really helped set up the framework for how we were going to do that. Um, so that was huge. And then and then the most recently, um, you know, he's spending a lot of time at his computer, and I didn't really know what he was doing. As much, but one day then he came in and he said, "Hey, I've been researching this new text text program that I'd like to integrate into our systems um, because you know our reviews are not really as good as they should or could be given what we do and how many happy people leave here." Mm-hmm. So he's integrated, you know, um, text response into our. Um, company uh, which then fuels reviews which then fuels your SEO which then you know puts you at the top of search it's it's
0: absolutely i love being able to everything from a haircut to a doctor's appointment to be able to a get the reminder to the day before that's like hey are you coming or are you not coming and do you want to reschedule and then being able to do that on the fly on text is a great use of technology and i can remember because I took guitar lessons forever as well as vocal lessons. I'm not sure that any of them paid off, but I did. And I you know, just remember the rigmarole of like, well, I'm out of town next week. And you know, those kinds of efficiencies are really making things possible. But the other thing that I'd love to get to is I think that the kind of things that you're describing are making relationship more possible. And I wonder whether or not you would agree with the idea that Our customers, our constituents in business or in nonprofit work, what they want more than services are really high quality relationships. And I know we've always talked about that, you know, customers first, you know, but I I really think that there's something substantively different. People don't want just a general relationship. I think they want a personal relationship like you, Mike, might text me back and say, hey, I hope you enjoyed that clarinet we brought to you. If you got a broken read, let me know. We'll drop another one off. Like If somebody did that for me, that would blow my mind. Or if I was a parent, that would blow my mind. What do you think about how all of that tech and business and relationship, how, how are they all intersecting and and has COVID changed or accelerated any of that work?
1: That's a big one. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that obviously the relationship is huge, and and that's one thing that you know people people have been predicting the end of the brick and mortar store since 1992, when the internet first you know really started to come through message boards and everything. Um, and and what we found is that that those parents those those Students, they still want to talk to someone, they still want to um, be able to see the product, they still want to be able to touch the product. And, and in our situation, it's a little different because in music, as you know, being a musician, you know, no two instruments play exactly the same. Um, so and and you know, there's that excitement of when a student comes home and says, I want to start music, and the parents are very excited, and it becomes this family moment when they all come to the store together to get the instrument. And uh, so we've leaned into that and tried to make our process, you know, very uh, efficient for that. COVID has definitely changed things, but even during COVID, we still had all of our employees working at home. And there was a website request that came through, Um, Or a Facebook question that came through we were answering those questions typically within an hour of the time We got them oftentimes faster and people were saying thank you because they were having this angst and just being able to answer that question Relieved one question out of their life that in a world now. We we have nothing but questions like what's going to happen next so um, we really lean into the family moments We really lean into to the the journey of music, because as you would, I'm sure agree, there's a lot of things in your life. But music has a special way of bringing back that memory. You get in the car, you turn on that song, you remember where you were, Um, you you hear something, you go, you know what? My mom or my dad used to sing that to me. My mom used to hum that while she was cooking, you know. It's, it's a different sensory experience. And so we really lean into that and try and build upon that as much as we possibly can.
0: You know, I think I, I want to make sure that we leave enough time to get to your incredible social leadership work through band of angels. But I want to ask you one other business related question, because when we were preparing for our conversation today, one of the things that you guys did at Meyer music was the launch of some virtual locations because you're, you know, in blue Springs, even with three locations, you know, people want access, they want access quickly, they're busy, they're picking up kids, well, not anymore from school during the pandemic. but you know, we're all driving around. And I've got three boys, and I know you just get sick of the rat race of, of, of driving around everywhere. And so you guys did something pretty unique by partnering with some local companies in different areas. Talk to me about that decision and what that looks like and what was the impact of that decision on on your business.
1: Well, that was a fun story and a and, and fun little entrepreneurial thing to do that was different. And, and I would have to say, after you've sold reeds for 30 years, you know, doing something different does keep it fun and fresh and exciting. But what we did basically was we thought, gosh, you know, in the in the metropolitan area where we live, we were on 119th Street to get from 159th Street to 119th Street. And, and get an instrument, I mean, that was a two, two and a half hour trip for a mother who's trying to get six other kids to other activities, or a dad who's who's running by and picking something up on the way home. So we just simply said, well, what if we what if we took the music store to you? So we partnered with actually a local grocery store to start, and um, we put our little music display right in the middle of the peaches and the pears and the watermelons in the produce department, and uh, we thought, well, where do where do people have to go? They have to get food. And so right. they could kill two birds with one stone. So not only are we providing a great service, we're bringing traction into the company that um, lets us be in there. Um, they, We did a study. 70% of the people that came picked up other food items while they were getting the clarinet. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's not being afraid to pair these strange bedfellows together. You know, I mean, you wouldn't think those two things would be related, but they are. Yeah, we
0: talk about in in the social leader essentials e-course, one of the things I talk about in the first module is the idea that the social venturing mindset is one where we are trying intentionally to harness the best of business, faith, and philanthropy to do social good. And by that, I don't just mean my faith. I mean, really trying to look cross sector because each of those sectors, just like each different um, business vertical, kind of has its own strengths and its own limitations. And so I love the idea of combining, you know, picking up milk with picking up my clarinet and driving that value proposition, not only to your end user and building that relationship, but driving that value par- proposition to you know, the hy V or whoever it is that, that you worked with. I think that's really cool. One of the other things that you said in our conversation before we got on was that if you can do, you should do. And I want to pivot a little bit away from um, business uh, operations. And I want to talk about Band of Angels because I think all along your entrepreneurial journey there have been these moments re- where you realized I could do that we can do that let's go do that one of them had to do with the fact that for over 50 years your family has been selling instruments to you know people that aspired to be bono and you know Mick Jagger and you know, uh, first chair in the orchestra. But look, the reality is a lot of us, including myself, we're we're kind of has-beens who never were. And there are a lot of instruments sitting in closets all around the region that you guys sold. So you had this idea called Band of Angels and you did it. Talk to us about that. What are you doing? What's the impact of that? How's it relate to Meyer music?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I have to give great shout out to my good friend, Kerry Hitler at Fox 4 TV, who was really the person that kind of got the whole thing rolling. Um, Band of Angels was born from the idea that that the news was doing stories uh, saying that the arts were being cut in schools and and they wanted to do something about it. They didn't know what to do. Um, What I knew is that over 50 years, I had seen, you know, kids and parents coming into stores, many of them who could afford to get the instrument, but unfortunately, some that couldn't. And I just always thought to myself, you know, I know that when those kids go to college or or go on into their life, a lot of times they're not playing a band or orchestra anymore, and that instrument just goes in the closet. Um, if, you know, here I have a TV station with a great mouthpiece and voice and a community heart, and um, if I can just get them to get on the air and tell people, bring these in. Well, I have all of the back-end infrastructure already set up to connect those with the students that need them. And so it was just a logical pairing in my head. It had been something i have been thinking about for a long time, but I didn't have that one piece, which was the voice. Wow. Uh, and so um, another great example of, a, of an unusual pairing that you might not think could work together and make it possible, but it did. Uh, in the time since we started, uh, you know, we felt like if we collected 50 instruments in the first year that we could do some pretty amazing things with those 50 we got 300 the first year. We've gotten over 6,000 now and wow. given, out, given out.
0: How many work, years running now, Mike? How long have you been doing that?
1: Nine years that we've been actually giving away instruments, 10 since we started collecting, because we always have to work one year ahead because there's a repair cycle that needs to be figured into that timeline. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, here we are going, okay, you know, so we've spread 20. 2,300-plus horns now, and and the number's going up really quick right now because of the beginning of school, but not only across Kansas City, but across the entire United States. Um, We've sent instruments to California, New York, Arkansas, Texas, Oregon, uh, Michigan, Chicago. I mean, it's wherever there is a need that exists, well, we had something that we could do with that and, and help You know, find an instrument that was doing nothing and turn it into doing something again and also solve the problem on the other side of the equation.
0: You know, I think that a lot of people, when they think about social problems, they think about them in very narrow categories. There are homeless folks, there are hungry folks, there are kids who don't have access to music. But in reality, the social problems and the, the, Um, challenges that we face in the United States, even in this first world situation that we're in, um, they're tangled and they're complex. And often you try to unravel one side, you know, try to get, uh, you know, a kid music lessons and you realize they don't have transportation. You try to, you know, get them to understand mathematics better by helping them learn music theory and they don't have a trumpet. And, you know, these things really intersect help us who are listening really understand and feel the need the problem that you're trying to solve with these kids because it's really not about the instruments what's it about help us understand maybe there's a story or something that you could share oh it's
1: it's I've, I've got more stories than you can imagine and and one of the things that's probably been the biggest blessing in band of angels is is the amount of faith, confidence, and and stories that people have, have told and placed in me. I, I never imagined that people would share the things that they have shared, but um, oftentimes these different problems do intersect. And I, I can use one that was just a couple of months ago um, of a young woman whose uh, father had a substance abuse and he stole her cello to um, pawn to buy drugs. And um, you know, she did nothing to deserve that or, or have anything happen to her. But now she's faced with now she can't go be in the class that she loved the most in school. Um, so now on the other side of the equation, you have this woman whose kids have moved away and that cello was sitting in the corner. And so we were able to take that cello and connect it with that girl and give her the social place that she needs. Um, and. And, and help her, you know. And so a lot of these different things do intersect. Um, we deal with oftentimes uh, children who have lost a, a parent. Um, uh, one of the first stories that we had was a brother and sister who, you know, lost their father at a very early age, fifth and sixth grade, and and them trying to deal with that. And, and, and he was a musician, and so they've kind of lived vicariously through him, you know, and... And uh, now they're both in school minoring in music in college. Believe it or not, we provided them their instruments. So um, I think for, for me, what I have seen is that that need really has no zip code. Um, it has no one size uh, situation that we're gonna help do this. To me, it's never mattered what race, religion, gender, you know, anything that anybody was or where they were, What mattered was that they just had a need. So it didn't matter to me whether it was a downtown Kansas City inner city situation um, that, that this child was dealing with or it was a rural situation in a farming community where the father got injured getting off the tractor you know or an accident happened and now he's disabled. Either both of those things turned that child's life upside down And so um, we're trying to do everything we can do to find a way to make that child have access to not only music, but a place to belong and a place to deal and cope with whatever it is that they're dealing with.
0: So in the midst of such wealth, I'm reminded exactly of what you're saying. Mother Teresa once said that America is actually not the richest country, but we're perhaps the poorest country in the world because we're actually the most lonely. And that sense of isolation and loneliness, man, that story that you told about the young girl who couldn't go to her favorite class because she didn't have that instrument that actually really hits my heart because I know so many of our you know, reconciliation services, we have over 5,300 clients a year that we're helping with social or trauma therapy services of one uh, kind or another. And the number one thing that seems to be repeated in every story is social isolation. People feel like they're alone. They feel desperate. They don't see a way out. And something as simple as a melody, something as simple as you know a school teacher who says yeah you can play that try it again I mean, that can change the trajectory of a life yeah. and i know that the impact that you guys have had is pretty tremendous so i remember we were talking again before and you said that over 1.3 million dollars in community impact has been made how do you calculate that and how are you valuing the social return on investment from from band of angels
1: yeah, you know, you kind of calculate it in a variety of different ways, and there's no one way to really put a number completely on it. But if you took all of the costs to a family that they would have had to spend of what people have brought in and donated or the donations that people have made that have sent kids to camp, that all adds up to that number. And And nobody was more blown away by that than me when I saw it because that's money that those families would not have to spend otherwise. And so, um, you know, can you really calculate a return on investment from a business standpoint? You can't quantify it with a specific number, but I always believe this. I think that especially in today's world, people want to do business with people who are doing good things um, and are truly trying to make their place a better place. And if they have a choice between two companies, one's doing good and one is doing business that they are going to choose the one doing good and go do their business at that company. Um, Yeah. It's
0: like saying you can do well while you're doing good. And I think one of the key tenets of social leadership and why, when I was introduced to you, I, I knew I had to have you on the podcast, Mike was because it's difficult to convince business owners or organizational leaders that that charity sprinkles and volunteer hours they're good, but they're not enough. And actually we have the opportunity through social leadership and the integration of the best of each of those sectors that I talked about earlier, you're demonstrating through Band of Angels that actually when you integrate those priorities into your organization, into your company, into your life, that the net effect of that is more than just charitable good or a good reputation. Um, Talk about how the last 10 years of involving your team at Meyer music, your family and and your staff, how has that changed your team and impacted the culture of Meyer music by doing band of angels alongside of it?
1: You know, it, it has changed our team so dramatically. I don't know that I could have ever anticipated that it was going to be this way, but I, I can tell you that we do try and involve our, our, not try, we do involve our staff throughout the entire process from beginning to end. Whether they're collecting the instrument from that donor who is just so excited to see it do something good to being the one standing there when that parent walks in with the student and actually handing the instrument to them and, and getting a picture with them or, or something like that. It, it changes everything. You know, there, there are two stories that I will tell if I could quickly. One of a, of a young boy, we were out at a school and um, the parent could not do the instrument cost. Um, my brother said, hey, you know, we have this program. If you come into the store, we'll see if we can help you. She came into the store. Now, this is really early on. This is like maybe six months into us doing this. And, and to be honest, trying to integrate these things into your business, it doesn't happen overnight. People right. don't get it. They don't necessarily always care the way you care until they experience it. So I think that sometimes business owners come up with a great idea. And if the team doesn't jump on board in the first week, they feel like ah, oh, they don't want to do it. No, it's not that they don't want to do it. They haven't had time to process it. So Mm -hmm. for us, it was this young boy came in with his mother. And um, I can tell you this. The picture that I'm probably, you're painting in your head is not the picture of what they would have looked like to you. And she said, um, you know, I was at the instrument uh, thing at the school and we weren't able to get instrument. And he said to come in and you guys have this program. You might be able to help us. And I happened to be there that day at, at that store. And I said, yeah. And I turn around to my brother. I said, Tom, do we have, do we have any trumpets here that have been donated? And he goes, yeah, I think there was one downstairs. I said, great. I said, Linda, Linda's been with us 49 years. Linda, can you, can you print out the application for this person? Yeah. I go downstairs and I say, Jennifer, there's a little boy upstairs. We're going to give a trumpet to that That the parents need some help. And And could you take this trumpet? Could you vacuum out the case? And Susan, could you polish this? And and hey, do we have a mouthpiece? Oh yeah, I'll run over here and get this. And all of a sudden, what happened was our entire team just surrounded this kid and this mom in that moment and made sure that they were taken care of. And when we came back up and we handed the instrument and they were so excited, the little boy was so thrilled, couldn't wait to get home and start to practice and, and learn. And we then, after they were gone, we read the application. And what we didn't know at the time was that this child's parent had been incarcerated his whole life. Um, this child had had cancer and had had four surgeries between, between age four and eight. And, you know, this mother was a single mother just trying to do everything she could do to provide for her child, just like any other parent want to. do. Mm-hmm. And so when we then read that story to the team, they got it. They bought in and, and, right. you know, You know, people have actually come to me and they've said, Mike, you know, you do realize you're in the business to sell stuff, right? Not give it away for free. (laughs) And I say, that's right. I get that. But we sell enough stuff. And on top of that, these are people that we would have never sold anything to. Right. Yeah. So uh, the net effect is it's created this culture. The greatest gift and the greatest thanks I can get out of the whole program is when one of our employees, and this has happened more than once, came in and said, you know, I was standing in line at Price Chopper grocery store the other day, checking out A person saw my shirt and the guy thanked me for what we do for the community. Wow. And, and, you know, you're telling me that person isn't excited to go back to work the next day. You know? So I think it's thinking outside of the box for us. It was like, Hey, I know I have this group of people that I can help. I know there's these instruments sitting out there. Let's find a way to connect this. And and so It's blown up way bigger than I could have ever expected. But man, am I thrilled.
0: Man, it sounds amazing. And the thing is that, you know, we could write a white paper about your experience when it comes to social leadership, because I say over and over again to folks that I talk with, look, social leadership isn't about charity from the excess. It's actually about figuring out how we as leaders in a community can integrate and then operationalize the social priorities that are evident in our community and that burden our heart. And when we build them into the organization structure, into the project outcomes, into the team's priorities, not as something on the outside, but actually embedded, when we think like social entrepreneurs, you know, it changes things. And not only does it do good in the community, but I fully believe I can't prove it yet, but someday I'm good. I want to be able to prove it. Maybe you can help me. I believe it has a total net effect at the bottom line through employee retention, through employee recruitment, through community advocacy. I mean, it it really is so important. And I think that today the the contract, the social contract between customers, employees, communities, and owners is is permanently shifted. Yeah. People want to work for people like you and your family because they want to be a part of a movement. They don't want to just clock in and clock out. They want to know that their life is worth something. Yeah. And I think you're demonstrating that perfectly. Do you think that your team feels that way and is conscious of that kind of shift in environment and culture?
1: Oh, I absolutely do. And, and I mean, they tell us, and they go to, they're, they're at a picnic with their family on a Sunday. And somebody says, hey, I saw that commercial on TV or, or I saw that picture you guys posted on your Facebook page of that little girl in the cello. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's so cool that you're doing that. So 100% yes. I, I mean, I think that you, you have to involve the people in it and, and uh, you know, they work with you. They work with you to provide help to people who can afford it. And, and in this case, help to people who can't, you know, our collection agents, believe it or not, we have people we that don't pay and we have to go and get things back. Our collection agents carry those instruments with them that have been donated from the community. So when we're standing at a home and the person says, Hey, I can't do this. We say, just give us back. We will give you this for free. So your child doesn't have to quit. And they're shocked. I mean, who does that? So. Well, I think that that um, uh, believe it or not I mean I, I just yeah I think the team is is 100% on board with it they've lived it now with us for 10 years it's become a part of the community and um, no one can come in and say well those people are just taken you know they're just taken um, and and so they're giving every bit as much as I'm giving the community's giving our employees are giving we're giving everybody's working together to make this happen
0: That's an incredible story. Well, I want to make sure that if if you are interested and you're listening today and you want to get involved and you've got a passion for kids and instruments and schools and the kind of things that Mike is talking about. I want to make sure people know that they can get involved by going to bandofangels.org, bandofangels.org, and I'm sure Mike on that website can they figure out how to donate instruments, get involved, and even if they needed an instrument, how to engage and apply. Can they yep. do that there?
1: It's a very simple process, um, and it's all there on the website. And uh, the the people that you would need to contact within Meyer Music, within Band of Angels, are on the website there. Uh, you can call us, you can email us, Um, we'll absolutely, if you know somebody who is, you know, the story about the cello and the little girl uh, that I Mm -hmm. told a while ago, um, that came through a police officer, believe it or not, who was working with a social worker to help this child. And they together, the police officer and the social worker, kind of connected with us to help get that cello. So, um, It's amazing. Yeah, it was. Did it was,
0: you get to tell the second story that you wanted to read on on the show? Did you get to tell that story I, yet?
1: I didn't, but I'll. I'll I, if we're getting close to the end, I'll kind of wrap with this. Um, sure. um You know, there wasn't. Was, believe it or not, it was another cello. But um, whenever people apply for the instrument, we ask them, um, you know, please tell us your situation and tell us um, why you need the instrument and uh, how we can help not only the student has to tell us that, but we ask that the parent tells us that. And, and this story really struck me. Um, this was just, just a couple of weeks back. Um, so I'm just gonna read the parent statement. And uh, I think this demonstrates that, that it's more than just an instrument and it's more than just music. It's, as uh, Eli and uh, Isabel's mother and I split up in 2010, co-parenting afterwards has been rather pleasant. We respect the boundaries of our parenting plan. While initially it caused stressors, the kids have adapted and the splits become a positive change. I'm a disabled Iraq veteran, which brings a long list of issues, both mental and physical. My son's been witness to these and affected by some of these issues. I was also abused from the time I was five to 13 at the hands of my stepfather. This information matters because my illnesses dominate the environment and affect my child on a constant basis. While I've always been around, I've tried to keep him at arm's length for fear of passing on my issues. He's talented in a way that I don't understand, and I'm curious to see how far he'll go with music. I understand the value of music, not by knowing it, but by its absence in my own life. He's happiest most when he's playing, most notably when he's part of an orchestra and with his peers. It may be music to Eli, but it's therapy to me, and I think that really, you know, demonstrates that what we're trying to do is far larger mm. than an instrument. Uh, it, it, it's a family. It's it's a coping mechanism. It's a safe place. It's social wellness, emotional wellness. It's it's all of those rolled into one. And, and I can tell you from the Meyer family and all of our employees. There's nobody more proud than we are to be able to do what we do, and I'm more thankful for the city for bringing all those instruments in to make it be able to happen.
0: Wow, that that is an incredibly powerful story. I'm really really thankful that you shared that, and it it definitely demonstrates the need, um, and that it's not just about instruments. It's about really bringing healing, and and I'm so grateful for your social leadership in the community, and I want to. And like I do every podcast with, with this question for you. And that is, if there are people listening right now who want to learn to lead with greater social impact, and they're inspired by your story and your work, what are two or three things that you would suggest that they need to do in order to lead in the way that you do? You know, my,
1: my father always told me, you will become who you surround yourself with. Um, and so for me, I will give a big shout out to Rotary. Um, Most people don't know a lot about it, but I would encourage you to investigate it because it's a group of worldwide leaders. There's 1.2 million of them. I've been in that organization for 25 years. I grew up with it as my dad's, a 55 year Rotarian. And and, um, it is definitely playing the long game, but two things happened to me by doing it. One, I surrounded myself with incredible people who were wanting to build a better community Uh, that they left than when they got to it. Um, And those people just bring with them a sense of inspiration. I mean, they just, you you just can't help but get inspired when you're around them and find all the good things that they're doing. Um, But secondly, when then I it came time for me to start my own entrepreneurial thing with band of angels. um, I had already built a network of people around me who could help me get there. I knew the lawyer in the community, I knew the CPA, I was um, very close with the person at the television station and knew them, and so these components all came together. So I think that today's world, the one thing I tell young leaders especially is, networking groups are great, but find groups that have long purpose in them and go to those both. Do your fun networking where you can go have a cocktail and and you can get to know other people in the community, but also spend that time with the older people at the table that you probably don't feel comfortable sitting across from. You'll be amazed what you can learn from them and you'll be amazed the network that you'll develop. I, I couldn't possibly. And then the last thing would be if you see somebody doing something good in your community and you want to learn from them, call them. I can't tell you how many business leaders in Kansas City that I have just emailed out of the blue. And my line is always, I don't want to buy anything from you and I don't want to sell you anything. I just want to hear your story. Mm. And I invite them to lunch and listen to their story. And Out of those stories, you will find, it will make itself known to you what you can do. So that would probably be my biggest piece of advice. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's been my answer.
0: You know, I really appreciate that perspective. And you've obviously demonstrated the power of that effective networking and then also just putting yourself out there as, as a lifelong learner and being willing to just take the risk, call the community member, call the nonprofit organizer, call the, the business leader and say, hey, I, I don't want to sell you anything. I just, you know, I don't want you to buy anything. I I really just want to get to learn from you. And I think most people, especially in in the Midwest, here in Kansas City in particular, you know, we're a really small big town and mm-hmm. I think people are willing to give of themselves cuz I believe that 99% of the people out there, even the ones that we really disagree with, they want to do good. And their version of doing good might look different than yours, but together, you know, all ships can rise. So Mike, I really appreciate you bringing the message that you have today. I appreciate your family and the work that you've done in the region through Meyer Music. And definitely want to encourage everybody, again, go to bandofangels.org and check out the uh, incredible social leadership work that Meyer Music, Mike, and his his uh, team are doing with that. Mike, thanks again for joining me on the episode of uh, The Social Leader today.
1: Thank you. This was awesome. Really appreciate awesome.
0: it. Well, hang with me while we wrap up. And once again, friends, I'm so thankful for your time. Thank you for joining Mike and I with the Social Leader Podcast, and if you are interested in sharing this podcast, it would be a huge favor to us. We want to get the message of social leadership out to as many people as possible, so make sure to hit that bell icon on YouTube, share this out on social media, like and follow the podcast, and every week when we put out a new podcast, make sure that you tune in. We're going to try to bring you every week different leaders from the business, the faith, and the political, the philanthropic sector to make sure that we really try to cover not only all the different types of social leadership that are happening, but also really address present and current issues that are happening in our communities across the country. Right now, we need social leadership in every sector and every company and every household more than perhaps we ever have. So lastly, if you're interested in learning how to lead, with greater social leadership, you wanna be more like folks like Mike and others that we bring on this show, make sure to go to thesocialleader.org. You can check out the brand new e-course that we just released. And right now for the next group of people that sign up, we're actually slashing the price of it almost in half. We wanna make sure that people can get access to this incredible leadership training. If you wanna stand out from the great sea of leadership similarity that's out there today, definitely check out the Social Leader Essentials e-course. And by the way, every time you enroll in that course and share it with somebody else who enrolls, every single dollar from that uh, sale is going to go to help fuel the work here at Reconciliation Services. So my friends, again, until the next time, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Social Leader Podcast. Let's both learn to lead with greater social impact.